I wish I had the time for the nervous breakdown I deserve. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. For any new listeners, I am Andrea, and I am the resident shit show around here, uh, formerly known as Awkwardly Tall Girl, when I was 5'11 in the 6th grade and the 7th grade. And as I said before, thank God I started smoking cigarettes at 12, or I would have been 7'1". And no, I am not condoning smoking at 12, but I am condoning smoking at 12 if you're a girl and you're already 5'11". We are diving deep with someone who I think might say fuck more than me. I have met my match. You've been warned. We say fuck around here, okay? (laughs) That's what we've been saying uh, to, to new Patreon members. We say we like to say fuck around here. I think we should probably get a t-shirt that says that. We like to say fuck around here. Um, But today, we are joined by Miss Star Monroe. She is a psychotherapist and she's a master life coach. And she was a guest on Tiffany Carter's podcast, Project Me with Tiffany. And as soon as Tiffany finished interviewing her, she said, you have to have this gal on the pod And um, you're in for a real damn treat. As I said, she is a a master life coach. She really focuses on helping women in midlife to really reclaim themselves, to live the life that they deserve to live. We get into a lot of different things. She holds nothing back. We talk about her, her journey with guilt regarding being a mother in addiction and how she has learn to take responsibility for the part that she's played on her son's life, but also finding compassion and forgiveness for herself. Uh, We're going to talk about her broken picker and how we don't just have one breakdown. Life is a series of of breakdowns and buildups. And I just really appreciate her complete honesty. I think that there's a lot of... um, I don't know if you want to call them influencers or coaches or what that you see on social media or on whatever that try to portray that they have it all figured out. None of us have it all figured out. So I'm going to be honest. And when sometimes when I'm preparing for this introduction part of the episodes, I feel like I have to say some real profound shit for you all. Some some life-changing, powerful thing that's going to rock you off your socks or you're going to turn the podcast off. But that's bullshit. So how about I just be myself? So last week we talked about embracing change. But let's talk about the elephant in the room of change. And that elephant is a little old thing called resistance. I know that elephant well. If you listened to this past shit show Saturday, fit though Saturday, it's hard to say. shit show Saturday, fit though Saturday, we talked about fear and I talked about my fear and the resistance that I have been experiencing. What I'm really trying to lean into is being curious about my fear instead of shaming myself for it 
or just beating myself up, telling myself I shouldn't feel fear or I shouldn't feel resistance, but really just inviting in a, you know, an attitude of, of curiosity, realizing that that I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this for a greater good. I do think that there is some sort of a, a lesson or a spiritual purpose in, in all of the um, struggles that we, that we have. So one area that I experience resistance, and this really has been part of my journey over the past few years, you know, ever since I've been on this journey to figure out why the fuck I was put on this earth, this resistance that I encounter moving my life forward. And lately, how it's shown up, one example is so Saskia, Angel Saskia. She's helping me with a lot of stuff, but she's helping me redo my website. And so she did all this work for me. It's absolutely amazing. And she asked for my comments. You know, what are edits that she she wants me to make? And I literally just get this physical resistance in my body. All I have to do is sit down. It's going to take me five minutes, 10 minutes at most to just make a few notes of edits that I'd like for her to make. And I get this literally in my body. I feel it. I tighten up. I get this anxiety like I'm about to go on a damn date or something. And uh, what is that about? What is that about? And instead of shaming myself uh, or telling myself that I shouldn't feel that way, I'm really trying to be curious about what this resistance is about and what is the underlying fear. So I've been rereading in the past few days uh, Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. I'm sure I've brought it up before. This is probably in my my top 10 personal transformation books that I would recommend, but it's essentially about resistance and how we encounter resistance when it is something that is going to make us a higher or better version of ourselves. He says any act that rejects immediate gratification in favor of long-term growth, health, or integrity, or expressed another way, any act that derives from our higher nature instead of our lower, any of these will elicit resistance. And he says, rule of thumb, the more important a call or action is to our soul's evolution, the more resistance we will feel toward pursuing it. (laughs) And so he talks about uh, resistance and procrastination. He says procrastination is the most common manifestation of resistance because it's the easiest to rationalize. We don't tell ourselves, I'm never going to write my sympathy, 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 symphony. That was a struggle. Instead, we say, I'm going to write my symphony. I'm just going to start tomorrow. Um, he also talks about fear. He says, are you paralyzed with fear? That's a good sign. Fear is good. Like self-doubt, fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. Remember our rule of thumb. The more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. Resistance is experienced as fear. The degree of fear equates to the strength of resistance. Therefore, the more fear we feel about a specific enterprise, the more certain we can be that that enterprise is important to us and to the growth of our soul. That's why we feel so much resistance. If it meant nothing to us, there'd be no resistance. 
And I was also listening to an interview with him, and he was just talking about this idea that um, it's never going to go away completely. Like, resistance is never going to go away completely. And I feel like I've been in a mindset a bit that I- I'm going to get to this point, that I'm I'm going to get to this point where I'm going to conquer this resistance and that things are just going to like flow. I'm just going to be in like this constant flow. I'm not going to have resistance to do things. It's all just going to come so easy to me. And what I'm realizing is that <laughs> that is that is not realistic. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's learning how to live with it. It's learning. I was talking to my therapist about this. You know, there's this deep belief um, in what I'm doing, in my capabilities, that this is my life purpose and that the universe has my back. But then there's just this fear of there's this resistance. There's this fear. And I think a lot of it is is fear of of self-sabotage, that I will just self-sabotage. And I think sometimes when I start to have this resistance or this fear come up that I start freaking out. Oh, here you go. You're self-sabotaging. You're, you're not going to do it. You know, you're going to fuck up. And it's like really learning how to um, to be with the resistance and understand that it is it is part of the journey and to just be really curious about what is underlying it. If, if I need to figure it out, it, it will reveal itself. It'll come up when when the time is right. But yes, just being compassionate for myself and my fears and my resistance and accepting myself and my fears and my resistance and I am just going to continue to to share my my journey with all of this. So was that profound enough? <laughs> Did you turn off the episode? <laughs> um, okay, so before we go to Miss Star Monroe, I do want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon members. Patreon is where I host three weekly support groups. So they are on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, Thursdays at 5.15 Pacific, and Sundays at 12.30 Pacific. And they are on Zoom, and they are super rad, and they're with a whole bunch of rad people. So thank you, thank you, thank you to our newest shit shows. Julie, there's some names in here that I'm I'm going to mess up. So um, Otilia, apologies, Lauren, Nina, Cassidy, Nikki, Terrell, Heather, Peter, I think that's right, Peter. <laughs> Kate, Mika, Sue, and Samuel. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And how about y'all go be like them and join the damn Patreon and show your support for me, patreon.com slash adultchild. I would also really appreciate it if you could please follow me on Instagram and TikTok at adultchildpod. And please, please give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Thank you much. Y'all are in for a real damn treat. Today we are joined by Miss Star Monroe. She is a master coach. She's a psychotherapist and she's also a recovering shit show. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I like that introduction. 
I used to say former shit show, but that's not accurate because I'm still at times a shit show. So oh, recovering yeah. shit shows the way to go. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. It's good. Yeah. So I heard you on Tiffany's podcast, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to go a lot deeper than that. <laughs> I was looking at your timeline on your website. I love this. Yeah. Um, we can go backwards towards childhood later, but what I really loved is I love this breakdown. Number one, breakdown, number two, and breakdown, number three. <laughs> <laughs> I too, you know, I heard you mention, um, on Tiffany's podcast about, you know, like have hitting another bottom in sobriety. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would that be breakdown number two or three? Oh my God. Let me, I have to, um, backtrack. I, I always like, whenever I read, you know, like you read lots of books about people kind of finding their path and it always irked me that they just did one thing and everything transformed. And for me, it was never, it's never been that way. It's been a series of complete fuck ups over and over again. And even this year, like another fuck up. So let me have a think. Well, let's start, let's start with this year. What's this year's fuck up? <laughs> oh, do you know what? This year was, um, I went off my path. Like I'm a true believer. Like we stay on our, where we have a path. We've got a blueprint, like and it's that's where we're meant to be going and I veered off my path and I got all into my ego and I was like I want to earn more money and I want to be like this big shot and I lost my I lost my way and hence I hired a shitty coach um which really just I've been here before so I've 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 done like been here before so I recognize the signs um got out three months later, four months later, and I completely lost myself. And Mm. I didn't see it happening. All I felt was so uncomfortable, so upset. Um, And like, I didn't have anything to talk about. I didn't know who I was anymore. It's like I was, Mm -hmm. and then the flip side as I've come out of it, I've licked my wounds and I've taken good care of myself. And I'm like, fuck, my core wounding is I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. That's my core wounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and fuck, I drove right back into that core wounding again. So I attracted the wrong people to work with. I re-triggered myself. I went back into like this fight-flight response. I was running around in my life doing loads of things. And then only on the flip side, I'm like, oh, fuck. And so as I come back, it's like I became really serious and all the fun was sucked out and I was trying really hard so I can see it and I'm still coming out of it it's like that wave and it spat me out but I can't Mm -hmm. for me definitely on my life it when I go the wrong path like who whatever you believe it is but I've got no dogma universal whatever it literally it kicks me in the vagina it's like fuck you bitch you're not going this way and we're going to destroy everything so you can get back on your fucking path so that was this year yeah i had a workshop last night and we were talking about that like somebody was it was about like having a broken picker and insecure attachment styles and the thing that we were talking about was somebody was saying why why do i keep attracting these types of people and it's my belief you know that uh, this is just a gift from, from the universe. Like uh, they're going to put those people in our lives because there's something to work out there. 
<laughs> you know? And so instead of being like, why do I have to keep attracting these types of people? It's like, okay, well, this is, this is just giving me an opportunity to, to look this shit that still hasn't been healed. Yeah. You know, I agree. So, Definitely. Yeah. I don't know if you said this on Tiffany's podcast or not. She just mentioned it to me. Um, so just the, the, the guilt and the shame of, of, of being an, a mother in addiction. Yeah. So that's has, that has, I just literally watched my 22 year old walk through the front door. So, um, mm. and I, that has taken me a long time and I feel like there's always another gentle layer that I can knock back, knock into. So when George, he's my son, 22 still lives with me when he between the ages of three and seven I was an addict maybe three three and seven so they were I would say they're my real car crash years so they were part of his formative years so I know I've fucked him up um, and I have um, and I take responsibility for that and I do talk to him about it Um, and it's taken me a long time because my MO through life was to keep going. So I was taught by very stoic parents, just keep going. Don't stop. Work hard. Rest was, you didn't rest in my house. You were whacked around the legs with a wooden spoon if you sat on the sofa for too long. Um, so what I learned early on was to deny my experiences, deny my feelings mm-hmm. and to get on with it. And for me to get on with it and overcome whatever came my way, that was the real kudos. Wow, look at me. So the breakdowns, because you started to talk about the breakdowns, the breakdowns came in because I never stopped. But mm-hmm. then every single breakdown required me to look at myself a little bit more but it was only till I got into my 40s that I really started to unravel and that was when I did my psychotherapy training and I started to look at life way differently through a lens of so much more kindness and compassion because I'd always beat myself up like I had unbelievable self-loathing eating disorders, um, really wonky body dysmorphia. And so I remember coming into my 40s and just saying, well, if I've learned how to destroy my life, I can learn how to do something different with it. Um, So slowly, and it was over a period of 10 years, I started to teach myself kindness. And within those 10 years, the layers started to come undone. But it's only in the last six months that I feel I wouldn't say my relationship we're not we we're all we've got George and I Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but we're close but we're not close so it's like but I have a much better respect for him I don't push him I don't um tell him what to do well I might guide him but he doesn't listen to me anyway but it's like but even that helps with the shame even that helps with I and I will always honor I'm like I fucked up I made the wrong decisions I was an addict you know I was an addict and I know I played a part in how you are today um but at some point he has to take the responsibility on to heal his stuff absolutely Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. So when, so you were just starting to have those conversations with him in the last six months, like kind of really owning your part or. No, I've always owned my part, like always owned my part, but it's, it's, it wasn't landing. Yeah. And it's not like I'm trying to tell him like, I'm. it's, it's my, it's not my agenda to tell my son that, Oh, I own my part. But when, but recently George has had a couple of things go wrong in his life and I watched myself approach those difficulties in the same manner that I had done before. So mm-hmm. these ways are either I put my head in the sand and deny everything that's happening. I am very disciplined and strict and will tell him off. Um, I will be kind but then I get exhausted. And so then I just started to just, and what I noticed was I was enmeshed in him, codependency. Mm -hmm. So I was enmeshed in him. So I was always like, and I can still feel it now, but I don't beat myself up about it. He's my fucking son, you know? Um, I'm a single mum. It's George and I have been together all his life, you know? But for me, it was just that, for me, I had to slow down. I had to slow down and just go, none of this is working. None of this is working. Um, and it, I changed my, I changed how I was. So instead of being frantic and anxious, I just became calm. And that's my own journey of learning how to do that. So, and then it was just like, I hear you. I understand and I'm here for you and I will try and support you as best I can. Um, I asked him a couple of questions about a couple of things, but he didn't want to go into them. I'm like, I totally respect that. So way more in the therapist chair. You know, I think that there's probably a lot of parents listening right now who either were in active addiction while their kids were being raised or just, you know, participated in a dysfunctional um, environment. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> was there a period of time where you either you just couldn't even look at that um, or you just felt deep, deep, deep shame. And how were you able to, how were you able to shift that to having some, some compassion for yourself? Like how does, how does that occur? It was such a long time ago now. It was like 15 years ago. I remember, I remember what I used to do. I remember I used to shout at him and scream and I used to shout the dog um I was just I was awful and I I can I can still feel it and it makes me cry that how horrible I was mm-hmm. and I still feel I feel right now as I'm telling you slightly disjointed from it because I yeah. there's no reason for me to tap all the way back into that it doesn't do me any good okay Mm -hmm. so I as I hit my 40 my 40th year I went back to school because what I said to myself was like you keep fucking your life up you keep going around and around in circles and you either go to a psychotherapist again or you train to be one so I was like oh I'll train to be one (laughs) <laughs> and had, had no no real agenda to be a psychotherapist but I was like I'm going to learn how to do it because I always want to know why mm. so in that unraveling there was some really deep 
like super deep unraveling work. And I'm trying to think, you know, even when I met my second husband, I was still struggling with George. That was like six years ago and I wasn't owning my stuff. But when I look back, I'm like, I don't think I could own it all. It was too painful. So slowly over the years, I've through therapy, through talking with good friends, through journaling, through just doing the inner work, I've been able to hold more compassion. So it wasn't just like I went from hating myself to being very kind. It was just like this gentle, ongoing journey. And I remember the last time I had a deep conversation around my shame, around what I did to George when he was younger, Mm -hmm. was in 2019 when I was in holiday in Turkey with my girlfriend. And I sat there talking to her and I felt the shame as I talked to her. And I said, this shame is still here. And she said, oh, maybe we can do a hypnotherapy session. She was, she's a hypnotherapist. So I was like, I'm not up. I said, maybe. I said, but, but I remember that was the last time that I really felt it. But I'd done it many times before. Like I would have these conversations with myself and I just feel like so much shame. Or with my therapist, I feel so much shame. But that was the last one. And then since then, it feels like it's, I've, I've been on this big journey like I had to do a lot of inner child work because Mm -hmm. of my second husband so I just feel like this the last six years I've been I've been maturing Mm -hmm. I've been I like I truly believe that you know we have our in transactional analysis parent adult child Mm -hmm. I believe that I've been maturing into my adult and I'm and I've always been attracted to these really calm, wise people in my life, mm. like whether they're in my life or out in the world. But that's where I'm training and modeling myself to be. So it's just like I'm, I have this calmness to me that so I can handle what comes up. And with George, it's like I. I, I can't remember when I was still an addict, but I was in denial. But I think for my 40s, it's like I've been trying to take responsibility. And then that's just been like this ongoing compounded effect on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, I think it's beautiful to be able to take response. As you said, it's our our responsibility to do the work and heal. Um, but I do think that when we can have that person in our life own their part, hopefully that helps us to not fully take it on ourselves. Right. Cause I think what happens is nobody takes any accountability. And so we just, we just, you know, assume it's, it's us. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to do with George because, because I'm in the business, I'm a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. so I know, and also I am very aware like yep. my job has been to understand why I do the things I do. Yeah. So I know it's very important for me and it's important for George to know that I fucked up, mm-hmm. that I fucked up, that it is not his fault. Mm-hmm. And so I watch George, but he blames me still for a lot of stuff. And I'm just like, it's okay. It's, there's nothing yeah. I can do about that because, and I was thinking about this the other day about, us taking responsibility 
for actions because you hear it a lot take radical responsibility but I was really thinking about swimming the other day and I was thinking actually I think that's more nuanced than people say because they bander it about take radical I mean even that sounds harsh doesn't it it does (laughs) radical responsibility so I'm like it's the awareness I think it's a blend it's the awareness the slowing down the pace of life because a lot of us if we're addicts I think we would have been running around like crazy people and then it's like this gentle learning of this compassion the kindness and then I think responsibility comes in but you can't fall I've really been thinking about it you just can't too many people are out there and me included like I'll hold my hand up I'm learning all the time like take radical responsibility for yourself but it's like if someone's still in trauma response it's like yeah, oh exactly too much it's like you know and also if we have that core wounding I'm not enough there's something wrong with me or you need to take radical responsibility it's like oh it's like it's too much yeah <laughs> so you mentioned um that in this, just this last relationship, um, having to really look at that inner child stuff. So I'm curious, uh, I mean, I'm going to put, people need to go and look, I love your timeline. Um, but you've obviously had a bunch of shit. It's not just like, it's not just like alcoholism or addiction. I mean, it's like body shit and, you know, codependency and all that stuff. Um, what has been your journey as far as, coming to terms with the impact that your upbringing had on you? What, like, let's say at a certain point, I mean, were you always aware that it was no. um, somewhat dysfunctional or how, yeah. What, what has your no. journey been around that? You know what, even today, even, even now I'm more aware of the dysfunctionality of my family. I've always said my family's dysfunctional, but I was very boxed in by the labels. Like I was always the black sheep, yeah, the, one, the, the rebel. So I was ostracized, but also blamed for everything. Mm-hmm. But even this year, so this is why I love this journey. It's like I'm learning even more than I ever have. So yeah. this year I can actually see the toxicity in my family. Um, and I'm, but I think it's, I think it's because of the work I do with other women as well. Like I see all the traits coming out in these women yeah. and I'm like, fuck, you know, like women will deny their experiences over and over and over again. I'm like, shit, that's from childhood. So, and my mum is bipolar um, mm-hmm. and she just went from a six month period of being down into manic. And I just went, I'm out, I'm done. I I would only want to talk to her. I can't handle it. But I was like, that's toxic because she won't take Mm -hmm. any responsibility for it. She's 75. She's, there is no way she's going to do anything. Talk therapy, nothing. No, there's nothing in their MO. So I, and then it was just like, I think there's still some stuff sort of unraveling around my dad, but I really just don't feel like I want, I like, I love my dad respect him but I don't want anything to do with him because he's always criticized us um I remember us even this is what and when we were young it, it was when we were I was in my 20s and my t- my brother and sister were in their teens but he was like you're all useless look at mm. my children you're all useless um and 
you know, even something that I did the other day, I wrote something about my money journey online and my dad made one of his, it wasn't even anything, you know, it was just one word. But you know, when you read a word from your folks that in their language, in their tone, and I was just like, I can't know. Just be proud. Mm. Just say, oh my God. And I think he... He I is. can relate. <laughs> yeah, he is proud, but he doesn't know how to express it. So I have that compassion and mm-hmm. wider perspective that he just doesn't know how to express that. So, and then this year I'm writing my memoirs. And when I, the chapter that really got me was my my child. I was like, fuck, that was so horrible because the ghostwriter who's writing it for me reflected back to me. She went, you were such a sensitive child. And that was the first time I went, I felt seen. I was like, Mm. oh, I'm sensitive. I always thought there was something wrong with me. So even this year, just so the work continues, the the unravelings. But it's I don't hold any animosity against my parents. And I have healed a lot of wounding. And I was blaming my, I didn't like either of them so I feel like I'm much more I'm in a better place with both of them but and when I look back at the generational lineage well that's what I was just about to ask what do you know about their upbringings yeah I mean you follow the generational lineage and it's a very patriarchal family unit the man was always in charge the woman looked pretty she cleaned house she had the babies and that went back and that's what's come through and when I look at the whole family and the family has dispersed into its own world now we're not so tightly knit it's I'm the only one that's going uh, no I'm, I'm not I'm not doing that I'm, I'm not gonna just do what everyone else has done which is what they all do get married have children mm-hmm. settle down buy a house not going anywhere so and for me, it just that doesn't feel right. It, it just doesn't feel like I need I I should be doing that. <clears throat> yeah, for me, when I hit my so I hit my kind of like adult child bottom when I was nine years sober as a result of a broken man picker. Um, and part of that realization for me was just on how much I'd been selling myself short in life, like especially from the perspective of a career, because. Truly my main focus in life up until that point had been like finding a guy and getting married. Hmm. And it was like, not once had I truly considered what a fulfilling life would look like outside of that, you know, and just realizing the, um, my potential that I was letting go to waste, you know, and Hmm. much of that was ingrained in childhood. So let's talk about your broken picker. (laughs) So, how I'm curious because it, it, it we have a you know codependent abusive relationships. You're just you're just exiting a marriage now. Uh, what is what is growth looked like? What have, what have your patterns been? Um, okay, so what is, yeah. So when I first discovered boys, which was like 16, 17, I just fucked everything anything Mm -hmm. and everything that moved um (laughs) I'm I'm like I'm I'm, I really own my slut I'm just I've got no problem with 
uh, talking about it. At mm-hmm. 16, 17, I had a relationship with a 60-year-old. So I'm 16? Yeah. I'm still not 100% sure. There was probably some grooming in that, but I was a willing participant in that. How did that, who was he? How did this come about? I, I, I did it. I went out, found him. And like, that's, that's been my MO. Like, I was like, I want him. Where'd you he go to the, the local like bingo hall? <laughs> he was a, um, what was he? He was a manager of a pub that I went to. And so I just went, he was very powerful. So I was like, I want you. And so we had a relationship. So I was, I was consent, I consented into it. I never did anything, you know, it wasn't against my will. Mm-hmm. But so that was early on. Um, and then I was thinking about this the other day, anybody that's nice, I get really bored. I'm like, yep. and I, yes, and I exactly. I'm like, I don't want nice, nice. You're just yes. boring. Please Plus, treat me like shit. <laughs> it's, not, it's not, it's not really thinking about that more. It's not, it's, there is that part like that kind of, it's, I need a challenge, right? So there's a, there's a challenge there as well. And it's the, the thing with me as I've gone through all the men is that I've outgrown them all. So I'm on this personal growth trajectory. So I married in my 20s. He was great, but he, we, I fell out of love with him. And that was a young love, right? It was the young love I had, George. We fell out of a love. And then in my 30s, that's when I went mental. I just went fucking crazy. Um, and again, found a man, thought he was powerful. He wasn't. He had no money, lived in a caravan. But I was like, I was I was like, adamant. That's, a, that's a powerful caravan. <laughs> so we had a relationship. He was manic depressive. I thought I could save him. So now came out my savior complex. Yeah. And like, we, your mother, right. Was, was that, what do you, what do you say there? Were you, was it a combination of mom and dad that you were attracted to? It's not mom. It's not mom. Um, see, I don't know. See, I haven't quite figured that out and I'm okay not knowing the answer. I think there's something there with maybe my dad, but I don't even know. I don't even know what it's, if I, if it is, it's it's less about mum dad for me it's about the traits mm-hmm. so in my 30s i just went that shit fucking crazy so i was sniffing cocaine doing drugs so he he actually split up with me and then i met another man a boy who beat the shit out of me but by this i was just running at life so i wasn't really making the decisions but also i didn't like myself Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't like myself, wasn't making the right decisions. Then I met somebody else and that was an eight year codependent relationship. And I, that was harder to get out of than stopping cocaine. That was yeah. harder than stopping cocaine or drink. That was the hardest thing. It, I honestly thought he was my soulmate and that was really toxic. So it's, so the patterning, cause as you said about mom and dad, I'm like, I've got no, there's nothing there with that. It might be some dad stuff, but I'm like, no, it's 
because at the core of me, and I always say, you can be good at anything at your life. You can be good at destroying yourself. You can be good at building yourself up. I was really rooted into that patterning of I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. And then that's why I attracted all these men into my world and then play out all these different scenarios. And then within that, I've always been attracted to powerful men, powerful men. That live in caravans. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any more caravans, just one caravan. Just one, just okay. One caravan. And then the rest were just affairs or just mm. people who were just as crazy as me. And then... Um, we'll talk about that. Talk about that codependent relationship. So how did, how are you finally able to, cause I agree. I think that the codependency is the most painful shit ever. And I did it. I was going through it in sobriety. Um, so fucking painful. So what, what did that look like? And, um, yeah. How, how did you, how were you able to pull away? Fuck. We came, we, came apart together, apart together, apart together for so many times over eight years. Mm. Um, I was training to be a psychotherapist. Mm. I was like, I'm going to marry him. God. Um, Then the relationship dynamics changed with us. Mm -hmm. And in a nutshell, what had happened, he'd moved into child, I'd moved into parent. Mm. Okay. So the sex had gone, and that was the big attraction, the sex. So the sex had gone. And then what I found out is he was secretly drinking. I think I was drinking. I I taught myself how not to be an alcoholic, so I was like, I I can drink or not drink. It's no big deal, really. Um, So, But he was drinking, but he wasn't telling me. And then I found out, and then... I went off and did a big talk at a women's conference and he had a massive row with me that day. I was so upset. So this is when I was addicted to drama and chaos. So you just think it's normal. So all my hormones are um, on these like hooked on. So I went in the car and, it, and a couple of people said, this is not normal behavior. And then another psychotherapist said, this is not normal behavior. You don't deserve this. But I'm so rooted into it because it was like emotionally abusive as well, mm-hmm. so rooted into it that I couldn't see it. But then something had, so the, all these little nails are going into the coffin, right? So all these little things. And then I think what he did, and I'm very proud of, I used to be very proud of my house, very perfection, so my perfectionist streak came out into my house. And he got up, I think, and threw up all over my bedroom. And that was it for me. I just went, we're done. Pack your stuff. I'm going to drive you. I don't give a shit where it is. We're done. We're done. And I just did. I just drove him and I just went, we're finished. We, we can never go back. It's, it's finished. And hugged him and just, and that was it. Never went back. And that's how I did coke. I was just like, when I made the decision, I was like, I'm done. See ya. So I never touched it ever again. But it was, it's the little things that are happening behind the scenes that mm-hmm. culminated. But it was the fact that he threw up in my house on my wardrobe. And, but it wasn't, it wasn't that. <laughs> it 
when people slip a disc, they always go, oh, it's because I've been, I know it's not. It's because all those fucking years of the things that you did before, that was the nail in the coffin. So it was a cumulative effect. And I just went, nah, I'm done. And so then how long after that did you, was your second marriage? So that was in 2014. So then um, I didn't realize it was so soon to be honest. I was looking at some photos. Yeah, it's, it's only eight years ago. Yeah, 2014, I said goodbye to the, I've done a lot in these last eight years. 2014, I said goodbye to the codependent. 2015, and it might sound, I'm not woo-woo, right? But I called mm-hmm called the next person in like I went mm-hmm. I'm ready to, I remember I was in Turkey I was a, I was with my girlfriend I was like I'm ready to date that was the year I was fucking having a bad year that year again got mixed up with the wrong people online lost a lot of money I was bankrupt living on the breadline. I was fucked right so my life was fucked I had no money I was um just how I lived my life in my 30s had completely caught up with me Mm. and I was exhausted I was tired um and then I was drinking heavily so that's when I went to Turkey I went to Turkey three or four times that year and I was like I'm going to teach myself how not to fucking drink because I don't like AA I, I just don't get it it doesn't make any sense to me I'm like right I'll teach myself I just want to let people know most people can't teach themselves how to drink guys so I just want to <laughs> throw that out oh, there I'm not, I won't I'm not recommend recommending it. that I'm not recommending that. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean, and and if they listen to it, there was no recommendation coming out of my mouth. That's yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, the more I look at it, I'm like, I've never met anyone who's done that. Yeah. Never. But the way that I believe, nothing, nothing is power. I am not powerless over anything. I'm not. I don't have a disease. I, I just don't. So I, it's like, I got really curious, figured it out. And it's an ongoing, it's like that real kind of have that trust that, you know, I trust myself to make the right decisions. So I have a question on that. Let me, let me pause on that. So teaching yourself to be not drink alcohol, like all alcoholically, how about just teaching yourself not to drink? Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want mm-hmm. to, because I've, I've had since 2008 to 2015, I'd stopped. Mm-hmm. I'd stop drinking, but I'd always want another drink or I'd fancy a drink every now and then. Mm-hmm. But then that drink would always lead to another drink. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm in control. I'm, I'm always in control of what I'm doing. Um, and so I spent long periods of not drinking. Mm-hmm. And then that's, what, that's why I said, because I'd already stopped Tried AA, just went, for the fuck. Um, came back out of there. But I must, mm, I'll, you know, I'll, AA in England is different to AA in America, right? It is different. Maybe I would have enjoyed it different, uh, better in, in America. Different strokes for different folks. I understand. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to be able to drink one or two drinks as and when I wanted to. So that's why I did that. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry, continue. <laughs> so somewhere in that September, I was like, I'm ready to date. And I remember being kind of very, I was very, very, very my feminine, very like flowy, chilled. And even though my life was a shit show and I had no money and blah, blah. And it's, and I called my next person in and the next day I got this message from this random man, started talking. And On the I, internet? He, 
yeah, on the internet, was following me online. And I tell you what, I noticed exactly the same patterning happened to me the other day with someone, right? Mm. So what happens with me is no one takes any notice of me. No man talks to me for a long, long time, right? Probably because I'm in my own little world. I'm not attracting it. First person comes in and starts talking to me. All any defenses, any boundaries, they're out the window. Yes, give it to me. Give it to me. Yeah, because my little little girl is going, oh, my God, you're giving me attention. Mm. You're taking notice of me. And he did it in a really clever way because at that time I was still wrapped up in my looks. I was Mm. heavily focused on my currency, was on my looks, right? So he did it very, very smoothly. He was like, it must be hard for someone you like so attractive to bat off all this attention. Very smooth, very charismatic. Anyway, fucking cut a long story short. Three months later, I'm in Vegas meeting him. Um, he was American? He's American, yes. Yeah, so I married an American. And um, I was just blown away because he had money. He was wealthy. Um, uh, I was living like on thin air at the time and I was exhausted as well like I'd had to do so much myself um and he was enamored with me I wasn't I remember the whole scenario I looked at him I was like oh no but I'm because I'm so used to sleeping with men all my life it's like well fuck it it's another one I'll sleep with him literally that's literally the thought that went through my head who cares it's just another man I don't give a shit but I did care because the reverberations in me but I didn't listen to them because I was so Mm. fucking wrapped up in someone giving me attention right and someone paying for things and someone treating me nice, not beating the shit out of me and spitting in my face and wrapping me up in a duvet and smashing me against a wall. So I was just like, finally, someone's nice. Mm. Right, we got married six months later. I mm. saw the red flags, didn't take any fucking notice of them. Even if I did this all again, I know it would be repeated, right? Because the mm. red flags were there, I took no notice. As soon as you got married, you got married in Topanga Canyon in LA. Um, Everything changed. His attitude changed. And then it was like he got me. He got me. And then he kind of just sort of withdrew a little bit. I can I could feel this, this, you know, when I don't know what can you you can feel when someone's into you and someone just draws away energetically, can't you? Yeah, it's like my fucking life. It's my fucking relationships <laughs> life experience. <laughs> so yes. He, he drew away and then fuck me. I thought I'd done my work. Fuck no way. Mm. So 2016, 2017, massive, massive panic attacks. I wanted to kill mm. myself. Anxiety through the roof. Couldn't breathe. Um, and what had happened, so let me preface this. I know what I wanted when I met my second husband. I wanted someone to rescue me. Mm-hmm. I wanted someone to save me. I was done. I was tired. I'd had enough of life. It had beaten the fucking shit out of me. I'd given up on everything. Anything I touched, nothing worked. Mm-hmm. So he came in. I thought he was going to save me. So the words he said, 
Mm. It was going to save me. But then for whatever reason, that wasn't the scenario that played out. But for me, it really triggered in to some massive inner child healing. Because you can read the books, you can go to self-help groups, but until it's really in your face, then I don't think you really get to do the work. So well, that's just it. I think we have to do the work. Like there's work to be done single, but the real work has to be done in relationship. It's relational trauma. Therefore it has to be worked out in really. So what were, what, what were some of the, what were some of the limiting beliefs and thoughts that were popping up? Just the, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. So for me, uh, I don't tend to, call, to use the language limiting beliefs, but it's like, because they're beliefs. They're like, they're, I have to honor everything in me, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the beliefs that got dredged up, I'm not good, I'm not good looking enough. I'm ugly. No one loves me. He's going to leave me. Um, he's looking at everybody else. So jealousy, insecurity, rejection. So all the fear, all the fear. Um, because I was just, I went into that relationship with my heart wide open. Whereas all my relationships in my thirties, I was like a fucking steel bitch, right? So I was avoidant attachment in my thirties. Mm-hmm. No one could fucking get near me, you fucker. I was like, fuck you. So I was evil in my thirties. I was like, fuck you. Um, they still trod all over me. So, but then I was anxious. Mm -hmm. anxious attachment in his second marriage and so all that shit got dredged up and it never goes away never never goes away and that's the thing that really uh, it irks me because people say oh you can date you can have whatever you know you can't because for me this is where I am at 51 and I saw it happen when someone paid me some attention uh, about three or four weeks ago is If I ever date, I have to be vigilant, vigilant of how I move into that relationship. I have to move so fucking slow that that man man or the woman, because I don't mind who I date, is probably going to fuck off and get bored because I have to go so slow because I will drop back into my patterns of people-pleasing, fawning, and codependency I felt it all come up the other day everything came back up again just because someone spoke to me in the sauna in the gym and we exchanged numbers and uh, and I know this about myself yet the uh, the serotonin the feel-good hormones you're like oh and it does it wakes you up but for me I where I am right now I'm really not interested because I know I have to manage myself with so much care and attention. If I ever decided to meet anybody, I could do Mm. it. I could go back into my bitch mode, but I'm like, I don't know whether I can be bothered, you know, Um, even to have sex. Like I've had sex with so many people randomly. I don't even want that anymore. Like it's, it just doesn't, it's so for me, I'm just like, actually I've, Right now, it's not it's not my priority. And if I was to date, it would have to be a priority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't even know if I could manage it. I really don't because I just watched myself through Instagram. I got triggered so badly. I'm like, I don't know, know if I can. Because everywhere else, I'm I'm good. 
I can take yeah. really good care of myself. And to take care of what comes up again, even though it's bullshit, we know it's rubbish, but that level of attention to self, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a lot. It's it's crazy how quickly it can happen. You know, yep. it's fucking mind blowing. Yep. Uh, so in your, in your, in the second marriage, when, um, with the, with the, just the codependency, the anxious attachment. So for me, what I would do is I would try my best to not portray that <laughs> to the guy, but like, obviously it still comes out. Um, and I think then in turn pushes, it's like, we manifest our reality, right? Like, I think we start, we get rooted. Oh, they're pulling away. They're pull, they're going to leave me. They're going to leave me. And then we eventually manifest that into our reality that's been my experience so this is what happened in my second marriage and I taught myself how to um shift it so I was anxious attachment my last husband was avoidant massively avoidant Mm -hmm. um and a stonewaller so he Mm -hmm. would stonewall me for months on end live in my house upstairs shut the door would not talk to me it's beyond me how can anyone could do that but I was too emotionally wrapped up in it to even see but as I started to see his perspective I'm an exploder so you start I want to talk I want to get a lot of that you want to get it out yeah his brain cannot handle that so I can see that I can understand it now I see it with compassion but I used to explode. And so in the end, because I was doing so much like therapy and I was, I was like kept losing myself in these moments. Like I would go because I was the needy. So I go, he pulls away, like you said. So what I would do is I would get really riled up with something and then I would, it would it, it all consume me, but then I would pull myself away and come and sit down here and I would allow the emotion, which felt like it was going to overtake me to run through me. So I would sit at my desk wanting to go back upstairs, tell him to fuck off, get out of my house, go away. But I was like, no, you stay here, stay here and allow the emotion to run through you. Mm-hmm. And so I know I can do that. So here's the other side to that is I built up this, I don't know, like resilience or fortification in that. But the flip side is I don't even need to do that. You know, if I was with someone healthier that Mm -hmm. could relate to me, I would never have to do that. But so I go back into that old fucking narrative. I'm I'm not enough. My core wounding is, Mm -hmm. well, I deserve it. I need to stay in here. So I think I did three years and then eventually I just told him he has to move back to America. I was like, I can't live with you anymore. I didn't do it as calmly as that. I was, I was crazy. I I lost my plot. So, but for me, it's like, I need to be able to, whoever I'm with, I need to be able to communicate with someone. I need to be able to like, you know, you, you need to hear me and I need to hear you. So when you, was there a shift back to the, like the way that things were in the beginning, like when you're saying I'm done, was there, was he trying to make things work? When I asked him to move out, he was stonewalling me again. Mm-hmm. Every holiday we ever had, and we had lots of holidays. I, I mean, it, he, it was a nice, nice life with him on mm-hmm. one hand, you know, I traveled and um, I didn't have to worry about things for a while. Um, but Everywhere we went, he would stonewall him and go into a deep depression. Um, 
and again I was just like I can't do this anymore so anyway he went back to America we we separated and on our divorce papers it does say we separated at that time but the story continues because we kept both of us trying to make it work um we met up again in America then COVID hit so that took a whole fucking year out um and then I saw him last year in LA and I said I don't i we fell out about the same shit and I was just like, oh, just what's the point? But I was still, I was still like trying to make it, oh, it could work, it could work. But like after two years of doing that, but see, even interestingly enough, I was clinging on because he gave mm. me a sense of safety and security, even mm-hmm. though he didn't live with me, he had nothing to do with me anymore. You know, we were living separate lives, but um, I said, I said, okay, let's, divorce and then he came back a week later and said no I still want to be together and I was just like I don't even know um and then a month later I said no I don't want to I I, I said I want to be friends but I don't want to don't want to sleep with you and that's when I knew I just couldn't stand him being near me you wanted to puke <laughs> yeah I was, I was disgusted I was just like fuck how did I ever sleep with you oh uh. I know I was driving the other day. I was thinking about one of my exes and I'm in the car alone. And I literally went out like, Oh, (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. I know I I do feel, and that that's taken a while. And you know, even as I'm talking to you, even though I'm talking to you and I, and I had that kind of three weeks ago, that encounter with someone, but I'm like, no, he wasn't the right person. It wasn't the right person because I could already see the red flags, but I can see them, but it, it just, I just got enamored. So that's the thing. It's like, is it, the right people are out there, but I'm not even, I, I don't believe there's one out there. Definitely not. I believe there's plenty of people out there to me. So you, you said that you'd spent your whole life, uh, you know, tearing your life down. And that you could do the same thing, building it up. So as somebody who has struggled with, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. How are you able to shift into, you know, discovering your highest and your best self and living accordingly? So it was, again, it's never one thing. Yeah. It's it's never one thing. And I think that's, that's the thing. We live in a world which tells you it is one thing. And it's not. It's a multitude of things compounded over time. So ever since I was in my 20s, I'd read books. I wanted to learn more about life, about your body. Like I worked with bodies for so many years. So I was always expanding my mind. So even when I was a fucking raging coke addict and alcoholic, I was still learning. I was still doing courses. I was still Mm -hmm. expanding myself. I was still weirdly taking really good care of my body even though I was snorting two grams of coke up my nose you know like I would do all these health shakes and fucking colonics and vitamins and facials so like just I was always sort of seeking stuff but when I got to and I can't quite remember what it was that got me there but at 40 well I do right and this is what it this is what tends to happen with me is the destruction has to be so fucking loud that it wakes me up mm. and it, it mm-hmm. knocks so hard that you're like, you've got to take notice now. So as I hit my forties, I'd come out of a five, seven year cocaine addiction. 
I was battling with alcohol at the time. I was bankrupt. I had fuck all money. Um, and I was doing a job I really didn't like, but I knew I had to do because I had to pay the bills. I've been a single mum. So even though I had all these weird boyfriends in my 30s, none of them were fucking any help. So I was a single mum. And one of the things that played around was that I kept doing these 12-week body transformation programs because I was very wrapped up in how I looked. So I would get the transformation and then binge, purge, put the weight back on, start again. And I was, and I, you know, that's what I remember in my head. I was like, fuck, you keep doing the same thing. You just keep going round and round in circles. And, and, but all this other destruction was happening too. And that's when I, and I remember saying to myself, and I've already said it to you, I remember you can either go to a therapist or you can go and train to be a therapist, right? So, um. And then somewhere in all of that, because I was reading lots of books about women, about their bodies, because what I read with how does a woman love her body? Like I would read mm. lots of Janine Roth and I was like, how, how, I don't understand how she does this. And a couple of psychotherapists, Hirschman and Munter, I read their works. So I was like, how, how does anyone do this? I didn't understand because I was so wrapped up in hating myself, but I was like, right. Well, if I've learned this way, then I can learn another way. And I don't know what the other way is, mm-hmm. but there is another way. And so that started the unraveling as I went into my 40s. And in and no and I unraveled and I unraveled and then I got married and made another fucking mistake, but I learned through that mistake. I lost myself in my marriage. I didn't know who I was. I gave up. The marriage was really hard. So I used to sit in this chair, just doing nothing, playing a game on my phone. I was bored. And then. (laughs) I have a candy crush problem. (laughs) um, Mine was a fashion one. I used to dress these dollies. I was obsessed, but that's all I used to do. So walk my dog, play with the dollies on the phone and watch TV. And then in 2018, I just, the marriage was fucking shit and we were having another round. I was like, I'm going to go to Bali. I'm going to go to Bali to do my yoga training. I was always wanted to do it. And I was like, I'm going to make this happen. And... And I did. And I had to work really hard to like take on extra clients. And I went to Bali and I got away from the relationship and I did something for myself and I did find the money. Um, And there I just kind of started finding myself. I was just like, Mm -hmm. I was around people that found me funny and they appreciated me. And it was really nice. It was like, because my husband, I, I didn't really love with my husband I like to laugh I'm I'm fun I take the piss out of everybody I'm sarcastic so met my crew in Bali woke up from meditation said you have to divorce your husband it ignored that just pushed that to one side I was like oh no no don't blow um and then when I came back from Bali I spent a couple of months there I just went I'm going to get on my comfort zone every single day this year just gently mm. 
just mm. gently get out my comfort zone. And so what I did was I started to build my my online presence back up. I used to talk. Fuck knows what I used to talk about. It's just a one minute, just talk, whatever's going through my head. And what I did, and I've been doing ever since, is I've been building up the trust and the access to my voice and my truths because I always knew I was here to do something Mm -hmm. it just kept failing all the time so then I just kept showing up online and then I launched a program and it flopped um but and I was destroyed but I got back up carried on opened a membership and I always wanted to do the membership it wasn't how I, I had it in my fucking ego's mind but I did it and then 2019, I carried on. And um, so it's 20, no, 2019, 2020, COVID. And I just, I really enjoy COVID because I don't really like being around people. I'm, I'm just, people annoy me and I just like to be on my own. Um, I like to go at my own pace. I like, I've had to teach. The main things that I've taught myself over the last 10 years is the awareness is always there, but it's, it woke itself up a bit more. The compassion I've taught myself over the 10 years, and that's becoming almost like normal now. The pace of life, I had to slow my pace of life down. And that's why I teach everybody that comes into my world. You've got, if you want to change anything, you've got to be more deliberate in the way that you're moving through life. Uh, then I started, you know, in that all I take responsibility, um, then I started to slowly replace the patterns that were destroying me with patterns that didn't destroy me and sort of accessing a little bit more of my intuition. Like that's, I mean, that's how I'd mm. say I live my life. I live my life aligned with me. When people have always said to me, well, who do you rely on? Who do you look up to? And I'm like, oh, it's me. It's mm-hmm. no, it's hundred percent me. It's like my wisdom's in me. Mm-hmm um doesn't mean I don't go off my path and in in those years I've built my business up um and I got divorced didn't I um yes and I, I'm, <laughs> remember that and I think where where I am now is kind of you know like we started off me talking about this year and I was like oh I lost my way and I got in my ego I, I, I dropped into my ego, money, money, power, notoire, you know, like, hey, look at me. And it's interesting because I had my nails put back on after not having them done for three years, um, apart from one, one of them on this hand. But I was just, as I've been come back out of all of this, I'm like, well, what do I do and where do I go? Mm. And I was like, I thought my values were security and stability, but it wasn't because I said goodbye to a wealthy husband. And I didn't have to. You know, he wanted to stay with me. Um, but I was like, no. And I was like, well, what the fuck are your values? And I was like, oh, it's freedom. It's freedom and it's being you. So it's like if I go back to the nails, I was like, oh, you don't need these on. So they're going off soon. And I'm like, you can, you can just be you. It's so freeing. But for someone like I'm sure you and like you resonate for so many for nearly all my life, I've always no one's accepted me. Everyone's told me there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. that you know you're not acceptable. You're ugly. You're I don't want you here. You um, we don't like you, right? Mm-hmm. So 
it's I know that's my job to stay with me all the time and to not get uh, swayed by the glitter and gold because I'll have what I'm meant to have in life you know I'll always be well looked after because uh, I will look after myself it's not like oh for manifest the abundance which I don't fucking believe in it's like I will be looked after because I look after myself right so it's mm. what you were saying it it, sh- it, it replays itself out so it's like well how can I have this life where freedom is my value um and you are living true to you and it's like I don't even it's, I'm just starting to fathom that out because it's not in the box that I'm in right now mm. so what do you want to push you got anything you're going on, anything you're promoting right now? Um, Where can people find you? What, what do you people want people can to find know? me? Yeah, they can find me. The, the most active place is um, Instagram and it's Ms. MS star Monroe, like Marilyn. Yeah. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And the best place is to slide into my DMS. Come say hi, like say hello to me, like, connect. Let's have a chat. Um, and the only thing at the moment is to work with me on a one-to-one basis. So if anyone is interested in therapy coaching and my job is to guide you back, there'll be something that people want, (laughs) but it's building the foundations with you so you can have that, you know, so that's my job. So do you, is your membership uh, capacity? My membership, I closed it um, because I was I was just like I don't yeah I was like I just need to close this I don't want to promote it um it's no <laughs> it's like I'm I'm like not, I don't even know something's going to happen with it and I don't know what it is and maybe there's something else but the thing with that membership is that a lot of those women have been with me for many years mm-hmm. right so they're indoctrinated into the way that I teach and the way that I live like mm-hmm. I, I coach to live a lifestyle right it's mm-hmm. not it's not dogma it's, mm-hmm. it's it's like I'm just opening doors so a lot of them are like they're they're in it they're immersed in it and they're there so I think that membership maybe it's like that's done and there's something new coming yeah um but I don't know what it is yet and I'm I can't I don't want to rush it so I think TBD. it will mm-hmm. become apparent I said TBD to be determined yeah, it, it will come, but I'm in no rush. Well, my ego's in a rush, but I'm in no rush. Of course. But there is, there'd be a new way to work with me in a group basis at some point. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this has been beautiful. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Uh, you're welcome. thank you to star that was awesome we're really we've had a lot of brits lately and i really think that star and in saskia need to hang out since they're both in in london um but yeah go check out the show notes for all of star's stuff and she she posts some really good um social media some uh instagram content so she's uh she's worth the follow um, I, next week I am chatting with, um, a couple, I've been wanting to do an episode like this where it's 
um, the addict and addict or alcoholic, the sober al- addict and alcoholic and, and the codependent in recovery who uh, did not start that way. <laughs> so this should be a really, a really good um, episode. So if you guys have topics that you would like for me to cover, um, please let me know. Some of y'all have reached out to me in the past with suggestions. I've not done a very good job of of keeping track of that, like making a list of it. So if you have in the past made a suggestion or if you have one as as far as a topic that you'd like covered, it, the best way for you to do that, I'd really appreciate it if you could send me an email at Andrea at adultchildpodcast.com and just put in the subject line um, episode topic suggestion or something like that. And then I can uh, get a little bit more. Or- I'm still tr- I'm trying to figure this all this like organization shit. I am trying to level up. So that's it. Uh, Again, give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Please join the Patreon to help me to help me eat, guys. So that's it. I will see you guys next week for another fucking amazing episode of Adult Child. It's going to be super hot. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I'm super excited for y'all to hear. It's going to be a good day. I promise. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.